I want to say, Leland, I appreciate you saying thank you uh, to the congregation for this work. Um, there are so many logistical things that happen to uh, host nearly 100 kids for a week and all the different moving parts. And um, I hope that you young people understand the depth of the work and the sacrifice that this congregation makes to create uh, this environment for you. Um, we're going to lose some of these young people tonight. Uh, they're going to start on their way home. And, and I want to speak to them for just a moment before we get into uh, the lesson and continue in our study on the faces at the cross. This work is very valuable. And I want to share with you, the first time I came to singing school was 1997. My family was in a very difficult place for the year previous to that. And it was members of this congregation that reached out to my dad and my sister and I, um, Brother Gerald, Brother Tim specifically as the elders, um, at that time, teaching us and helping my family get to where they needed to be. And I'm forever indebted to this congregation. And I hope you young people understand, you're going to leave in a day or two, and you're going to go back to your home congregations. Your summer's going to go on. But I hope this week has meant something to you. In 1997, we stayed at Bill and Sue's house. And you know what all I cared about was when we got home, go play basketball across the street because there was a public basketball court. That's all I cared about. And then on the free day to go over to Gerald and Adrena's and play basketball in the pool. It was more like football <laughs> with us guys in the pool. But I want to tell you, there are men in this congregation today that were there and very impactful on me that they probably don't even realize it. Because when I came to this congregation... I didn't grow up here. I wasn't one that was born here and brought here every Sunday morning, every Sunday night, every Wednesday night. And when I was introduced to the teenagers who had been here their whole life, I was already 16, 17 years old. But I want to tell you, Brad Fisher, Brian Hutchison, Jeff McFadden, Jeff was younger than me by a couple of years, Chad Hanley, they welcomed me. And they were willing to open their world to me and let me experience what they had had their whole life. And I guarantee you that first singing school when I really became acquainted with the elders and the leadership at that time and Sean was younger then, I guarantee you if you had told Sean, Chase is going to grow up and preach the gospel, he'd have said, there ain't no way that boy is going to do that. Is that wasn't on my radar. I want to tell you, it may not be on your radar tonight. But let the Lord work in you. Let the Lord work through the relationships that you built. One of my dearest friends in this life, I met in singing school in 1999. His name's Aaron Huddleston. Aaron and I became really close. We lived together in our college years. We're there to support each other through very difficult times. And I know if I ever need something, 
I've got brothers and sisters in Christ right here that I can reach out to because of the relationships that were galvanized at something like this. So this isn't just another week. I'll tell you, somebody else I met, really, for the first time, was my wife, Elizabeth. And she didn't want to have anything to do with me <laughs> that first singing school. And that's okay. I won her over. I want to tell you, God blesses us through our relationships. So please... When you leave this week, understand this week can establish something that will change your life if you let it. Now, tonight, I want you to get your Bibles, and we're going to continue looking at another individual who found themselves at the cross of Jesus. And I want us to look at Luke chapter 2, and we're going to begin in verse 8. Luke chapter 2, beginning in verse 8. And there were in the same country shepherds abiding in the field, keeping watch over their flock by night. And lo, the angel of the Lord came upon them, and the glory of the Lord shone round about them, and they were sore afraid. And the angel said unto them, Fear not, for behold, I bring you good tidings of great joy, which shall be to all people. For unto you is born this day in the city of David a Savior, which is Christ the Lord. And this shall be a sign unto you. Ye shall find the babe wrapped in swaddling clothes, lying in a manger. And suddenly there was with the angel a multitude of the heavenly host, praising God and saying, Glory to God in the highest, and on earth peace. Goodwill toward men. And you say that's an odd reading to start with as we are going to examine the death of Jesus. Because tonight we're starting with his birth. The miraculous nature surrounding it and what his birth actually meant for all of humanity. In verse 25 of Luke chapter 2 we see a prophecy given by a man named Simeon. It says, And behold, there was a man in Jerusalem whose name was Simeon. And the same man was just and devout, waiting for the consolation of Israel. And the Holy Ghost was upon him. And it was revealed unto him by the Holy Ghost that he should not see death before he had seen the Lord's Christ. And he came by the Spirit into the temple. And when the parents brought in the child Jesus to do for him after the custom of the law, then took he him up in his arms... And blessed God and said, Lord, now lettest thou thy servant depart in peace according to thy word. For mine eyes have seen thy salvation, which thou hast prepared before the face of all people, a light to lighten the Gentiles and the glory of the people of Israel. And Joseph and his mother marveled at those things which were spoken of him. And Simeon blessed them and said unto Mary his mother, Behold, This child is set for the fall and rise again of many in Israel. And for a sign which shall be spoken against, yea, a sword shall pierce through thy own soul also, that the thoughts of many hearts may be revealed. Have you figured out who we're going to talk about tonight? We're going to talk about the only person who was with Jesus from the time he drew his first breath. As an infant, until he drew his last agonizing gasp of air on this earth. We're going to talk about 
the loving mother, Mary. You know, there's no one that was at the cross the day Jesus died that knew Jesus the way Mary did. And I want you to just think for a moment. We have a number of mothers in the audience, and something we all have in common is all of us have a mother. Some of our mothers may be in this audience. Some of our mothers may be in other places. Some of our mothers may not be with us any longer. But there is a special care and concern and love that a mother has for her children. And I want you to think in the perspective of Mary and and receiving a wonderful message that she would be the one that would bring about the birth of the Savior and the Messiah. All the emotions and, and all of the wonderful things that she would have experienced in addition to simply being a mother. My wife has delivered four children. And each time that that happened, it was a wonderful blessing from God. I want to tell you, before we had Josiah as our first, we had two children that we lost. And that's not something we share a lot, but I want you to understand, even losing those children, it hurts. And those children, even though we never knew them, guess what? We still remember and and think about what could have been. And then with the blessings of the four children we have, we're thankful to God that we have four healthy children who are alive that we can teach and train up in the ways of the Lord. You know, Mary would have been the same way. Jesus was her baby. Jesus was the one that had come from her as was given to her from God in a miraculous manner. And she had seen every stage of development of his life and then finds herself at his cross. John chapter 19, we've read this passage a couple of times this week, there in verse 26, says, When Jesus therefore saw his mother and the disciples standing by whom he loved, he saith unto his mother, Woman, behold thy son. Then saith he to the disciple, Behold thy mother. And from that hour, that disciple took her unto his own home. You know, Jesus had at least six siblings. He had at least, we would say, half siblings because his father was God Almighty. But Mary would have delivered six other children. There are four brothers who are named and then the plural of sisters that are named that would have been half siblings of Jesus. And as Jesus is on the cross about to die, notice he doesn't give the responsibility of caring for his mother to one of those brothers. He gives it to John. You know why? Because at this moment, none of Jesus' brothers had faith in him. And his brothers, even if they were there witnessing the cross, they didn't believe in who Jesus was. But John, being that dedicated disciple, was given the task and the charge to take care of Jesus' mother. You know, I want to say there's even a special bond between a son and a mother. I want to tell you, I've got a mama's boy in my house. I won't tell you which one. We got three. You'll narrow it down pretty quick. But there's one of them that really loves mama. And really, anytime he can, will go up and just stand next to her and want her to rub his back. And you know what she does? She does it. You know why? Because Malachi is her baby boy. Oh, I, I gave it away. But there's a special bond. A special relationship. And Mary 
would have experienced that with Jesus. Luke chapter 1, beginning of verse 26, talks about Mary being chosen by God. It says, Now in the sixth month, the angel Gabriel was sent by God to a city of Galilee named Nazareth, to a virgin betrothed to a man whose name was Joseph of the house of David. The virgin's name was Mary. And having come in, the angel said to her, Rejoice, highly favored one. The Lord is with you. Blessed are you among women. But when she saw him, she was troubled at his saying and considered what manner of greeting this was. Then the angel said to her, Do not be afraid, Mary, for you have found favor from God. And behold, you will conceive in your womb and bring forth a son and shall call his name Jesus. He will be great. He will be called the son of the highest. And the Lord God will give him the throne of his father David. And he will reign over the house of Jacob forever. And of his kingdom there will be no end. Do you think Mary felt any pressure? (laughs) This angel came to her and said, This is all the wonderful things that your son's going to accomplish. Do you think Mary ever said, I hope I don't mess this up? I'll tell you, as parents, there's a lot of pressure. Because you want good for your children. You want to see your children grow up to be contributing, productive members of our society. But in the kingdom of God, our primary goal is that our children become disciples of Jesus. And tonight, I want to tell all you young people, the greatest thing your parents desire for you in your life is that you follow close to your Savior. And Mary received that message, and I'm sure she was intimidated. I'm sure there were times where she felt inadequate. I'm sure there were times where she didn't know if she was up to the task. But you know what she did every single day? She took care of her baby boy. She and Joseph would have raised him and trained him and taught him according to the law that he had been made under. Joseph would have trained him as a carpenter. And you could just imagine some of the lessons that Mary would have witnessed her husband teach to Jesus as he learned a trade with his own hands. You see, Mary was blessed because of her obedience. In Luke chapter 11 and verse 27, Says, and it happened as, as, as he spoke these things that a certain woman from the crowd raised her voice and said to him, Blessed is the womb that bore you and the breast which nursed you. But he said, More than that, blessed are those who hear the word of God and keep it. So as Jesus began his ministry and he would perform a miracle, there were some that would, cried out apparently and said, Blessed be your mom. Blessed be the one who brought you into this world. And what did Jesus say? Was Jesus being disrespectful to Mary? No. But what Jesus was saying was, it's not about who brought me into this world physically. It's about those who will be obedient to the will of God. That is something that is of great price and great value when we consider our relationship with Jesus Jesus isn't concerned with who your parents are. Jesus isn't concerned with your status in this world. Jesus is concerned with your obedience to his will. And those are the ones that are truly blessed. And I want you to think about Jesus as the baby of Mary. We always talk about Jesus as being the son of God. And that is a proper application and title for who he is. But I want to tell you, he was Mary's baby. 
In Luke chapter 2 and verse 6, it says, So it was while they were there, the days were completed for her to be delivered, and she brought forth her firstborn son and wrapped him in swaddling cloths and laid him in a manger because there was no room for them in the inn. As Mary is delivering this child, and you mothers in the audience can speak to this and, and talk about this, that baby is born, and, and what do you want to hear more than anything? You want to hear that baby cry. Because why? That indicates that they're breathing. <laughs> indicates that air has entered into those lungs, and now they are functioning, and everything's going to be okay. Could you imagine Mary giving birth to a baby boy, not in a hospital, not in a comfortable room, but out in a barn. And as Jesus comes forth from her womb, just like any mother, she's longing to hear that first cry. And then she hears it. And they wrap him in swaddling cloths and what do you think Mary did? Do you think she just laid him aside or do you think she held him close? I would venture to say she held him very close to her. He was her baby. Sometimes we act like these people that we read of in the Bible were just characters that we get to associate with from time to time. These were real people. And just as a mom today feels that closeness to a new infant born... Mary would have had that same feeling. And think about joy, fear, excitement, concern, worry. All of those things would have been the same things that Mary had experienced. And I want to tell you, Mary was a real mother. Don't you think Mary had to discipline Jesus as a young boy? Yes, he was the son of God. But the Bible tells us that he grew both in wisdom and stature. If he grew in wisdom, that means he didn't have everything at the very beginning. He grew into that role of going from Jesus, the baby of Mary and Joseph, to being Jesus, the Christ, and the Messiah, and the Savior. And I want you to look at Luke chapter 2. And this account, and an example of the parenting of Mary and Joseph. Luke chapter 2, beginning there in verse 40. And the child grew and waxed strong in spirit, filled with wisdom, and the grace of God was upon him. Now his parents went to Jerusalem every year at the feast of the Passover. And when he was 12 years old, they went up to Jerusalem after the custom of the feast. And when they had fulfilled the days as they returned, the child Jesus tarried behind in Jerusalem, and Joseph and his mother knew not of it. But they, supposing him to have been in the company, went a day's journey. And they sought him among their kinsfolk and acquaintance. And when they had found him not, they turned back again to Jerusalem, seeking him. And it came to pass that after three days they found him in the temple, sitting in the midst of the doctors, both hearing them and asking them questions. And all that heard him were astonished at his understanding and answers. And when they saw him, they were amazed. And his mother said unto him, Son, why hast thou thus dealt with us? Behold, your father and I have sought thee sorrowing. And he said unto them, How is it that you sought me? Wist ye not that I must be about my father's business? And they understood not the saying which he spake unto them. And he went down with them and came to Nazareth and was subject unto them. 
But his mother kept all these sayings in her heart. And Jesus increased in wisdom and stature and in favor with God and man. So what happened here? Jesus and all his family, the whole clan, guess what? They went to Jerusalem every year. And after that, they were heading back home and they were a day's journey. And guess what Mary and Joseph start doing? Hey, where's, have you seen Jesus? Kids, have y'all, y'all ever gotten separated from your parents? Been lost? I'll tell you, that's a parent's nightmare, isn't it? Husbands and wives, have you ever been somewhere and said, hey, where's one of the kids? Well, I thought they were with you. No, I thought they were with you. Uh-oh. We better find them. That's essentially what happened here with Jesus. And I always have to think, is like, it's one thing to lose one of my kids. How do you lose Jesus? It's kind of important. <laughs> but Mary and Joseph had lost Jesus. And they were a day's journey outside Jerusalem. So they go back, and where is he? He's in the temple. And he's reasoning and teaching and listening, and everybody's amazed at what they see. And Mary, as his mother, says, look at what you've done to us. You're causing us stress. We're worried about you. We didn't know where you were. You need to talk to us. Tell us what's going on. And he said, well, don't you know I'm about my father's business? You know, Jesus was saying, you have to understand I have a greater calling than just being your son. You think that was hard for Mary to hear? In an earthly sense, in a carnal sense, that that might have stung a little bit. But you know what we know about Mary is she was faithful to God. And she recognized who her son would become. Now one other thing I want to point out about this is the Bible says that he was subject unto them. So as they went back to Nazareth, guess what? He was in subjection to his father and to his mother. You know, Mary witnessed the first miracle of Jesus as he turned water to wine there at the wedding feast in Cana of Galilee. John chapter 2 in the first five verses records that miracle. It says, on the third day there was a wedding in Cana of Galilee and the mother of Jesus was there. Now both Jesus and his disciples were invited to the wedding. And when they ran out of wine, the mother of Jesus said to him, they have no wine. Jesus saith unto her, woman, what does your concern have to do with me? My hour has not yet come. Now, before you think Jesus was being disrespectful to his mom, because I guarantee you, if any of my three sons look at their mother and say, woman, (laughs) they're going to pay for that. Okay. Jesus wasn't being disrespectful to Mary. He wasn't saying, woman, you don't have any. No, what he was indicating was my role is changing. And there's a transition here from being your son to having a relationship with you that transcends even the physical nature of the birth that you provided to me as my mother. And he refers to her as woman. And his mother said to the servants, whatever he says you do, do it. Mary didn't take it as offensive. Mary didn't get defensive and upset. She told those around her, said, you know, whatever he says to do it. You know what she recognized? She knew who her son was. She knew the power that he would have. She knew what he could do, which is why she told him, hey, they have no wine. You can solve this. She didn't know how he would solve it, didn't know, but she trusted in Jesus that he could fix this problem. 
And she witnessed the first miracle as Jesus turned those six pots full of water into new wine. You know, Mary had to share her son. As our kids get older, their circle gets bigger. They start exercising independence and maybe they don't like to spend as much time with mom and dad. Maybe they're more concerned with going out with their friends. Maybe they're more concerned with what they want to do and the goals that they want to attain in their life. That's a natural process. But you know, Mary had to share Jesus with everybody in the world. In Matthew chapter 12, we see an example here, starting in verse 46. It says, While he was still talking to the multitudes, behold, his mother and brothers stood outside seeking to speak with him. You know why they wanted to speak with him? Because they thought he was mad. They thought he was losing his mind, and he was going to get in a lot of trouble for the things he was teaching and the things he was doing. Because he was starting to get noticed, and there was a lot of notoriety, and guess what? The authorities were not happy with what they were seeing in Jesus. So the family comes to to get him and to try to get him to to calm down or or stop teaching or doing this stuff. You know what Jesus said? One of those that were standing out said to him, Look, your mother and your brothers are standing outside seeking to speak with you. But he answered and said to the one who told him, Who is my mother and who are my brothers? Again, he wasn't being disrespectful to his brothers and his mother. He was teaching a greater truth. He loved his mother. He loved his brethren. But you know who he loved more? He loved the people of God. The Bible says in verse 49, he stretched out his hand toward his disciples and said, Here are my mother and my brothers. For whoever does the will of my Father in heaven is my brother and sister and mother. I tell you, I love my family. And if you ask me what is your ideal way to spend a day it's me and my wife and our four kids at our house on our land doing something together i don't have to go to six flags with them i just want to be at the house together i want elizabeth to cook a meal i want us to sit around the dining room table i want us to talk and visit that's ideal to me you know mary would have had that with jesus But Jesus here says, you know what? There's a greater family that's more important than just your nuclear family on this earth. And it's the family of God. That's why these relationships that we've talked about all week are so important. Because through your years and your connections with one another, you will be an encouragement. You will be there to go through some of the most difficult things in this life together if you're the people of God. But you have to think there was a little part of Mary that wanted to take her son home and keep her, him, all to herself. But she couldn't do it. Then we get to the cross. And I often think about this. Why was Mary at the cross? You would think a mother knowing her son is being executed would not want to see that. 
You would think there would be family members who might even encourage her. Listen, don't go watch this. It's going to be ugly. He's going to die a horrible death. And you don't want that to be the last image of what you see from your son. But I want to tell you, Mary wasn't there at the cross to see Jesus die. She was there to be obedient to the will of God and celebrate the Passover. That's the whole reason she was there to begin with. And I believe God allowed her to be there at the cross because he knew that would not be the lasting image of her son because she would see him raised from the dead. Luke 23 and 27. And a great multitude of the people followed him, women who also mourned and lamented. But Jesus, turning to them, said, Daughters of Jerusalem, do not weep for me, but weep for yourselves and for your children. For indeed the days are coming in which they will say, Blessed are the barren wombs and, the, and that never bore and breasts which never nursed. And I want you to think about what Mary witnessed on that cross. What do you think her mind focused on? As Jesus is there, do you think she reaches up trying to remove the nail from his feet? Do you think she wishes she could just get up there and wipe the blood from his forehead? Do you think that she wishes she could just get up there one more time and embrace him? Don't you think she would have done anything within her power to do what she could to bring him down from that cross and save him? And all the while, she watches him die. So there wasn't anything she could do. You know, a parent's job is to protect their children, isn't it? I know there are people in this audience who have lost children. And I think about that. That's not what's supposed to happen. My children are supposed to bury me. I'm not supposed to have to bury a child. And in the natural progression of life, typically that's what happens. But it's not what happened with Mary. She witnessed her son die. What do you think she thought of as he was hanging there? Do you think her mind maybe went back to teachings that she had heard him say? And maybe in the parables that he taught about a a woman sweeping her household and finding a lost coin or, or grinding the flour, that maybe, just maybe, she thought, he was talking about me. Because no doubt he would have witnessed her on a daily basis do those things that were necessary for a household to run. Maybe she reflected back to the day he was born and his first cry. Maybe she reflected back to hearing him teach in the temple. Maybe she sat there and thinking about with pride the difference that he had made in the world. And all that she can see before her is her son dying. And there was nothing she could do. 
You know, as parents, we would do anything we could to save the life of our children, wouldn't we? We would exhaust every dime. We would exhaust every effort to save the life of a child. And here Mary is totally helpless to do anything. And I go back to that prophecy that we read at the beginning. You know, we sing that song, Mary, Did You Know? It's a very popular song around Christmas time. That song is, is in our songbooks tonight. And you think about the words of, of that song. Mary, did you know that your baby boy would one day walk on water? Mary, did you know that your baby boy would save our sons and daughters? Did you know that your baby boy has come to make you new? This child that you've delivered will soon deliver you. That's what Mary was witnessing. Yes, she was witnessing the death of her son, but she was witnessing the deliverance of her soul. And when you and I reflect upon the cross, we don't have the same connection as Mary had. No one on this earth ever will. But we get to see the same thing that she saw regarding our salvation and the forgiveness of our sins. And Mary lived her entire life knowing that there was going to come a day that her soul would be pierced through with the sword. And as Jesus took his last breaths, maybe, just maybe, she thought about that prophecy. And said, this is what Simeon was talking about. Because I guarantee you, she felt pain. She felt like a sword had pierced through her own soul. But here's what we see in Mary. Tonight, Mary is not worthy to be worshipped. Her son is. Mary would reject worship. Mary understood her relationship with God was now contingent upon the relationship she had through the sacrifice of the only begotten Son of God. And what we see in Mary perfectly depicts the humanity of Jesus because death is difficult, but death is a reality of the human life. And when we think about his dying words of leaving the, the care and the concern for his mother over to John, you know what Jesus was doing? He was fulfilling his role as that eldest son. And he was honoring his father and his mother even till his last dying breath. That shows Jesus wasn't concerned about himself. He was concerned about the mission that laid before him. And Mary had to remember this mission. She had heard him say in Luke 2 and 49, I must be about my father's business. She would have known of what Jesus said to his disciples in Mark chapter 9, that he taught them and said, The Son of Man is being betrayed into the hands of men. They will kill him, and after he is killed, he will rise the third day. But they did not understand this saying and were afraid to ask him. And that's a con 
consistent message that we see through the teaching of Jesus is he told them plainly what would happen. They didn't understand. They didn't grasp it for some reason. I want to tell you, this was the greatest test of Mary's faith. Luke 23 and verse 50 says, Now behold, there was a man named Joseph, a council member, a good and just man. He had not consented to their decision. Indeed, he was from Arimathea, a city of the Jews, who himself was also waiting for the kingdom of God. This man went to Pilate, asked for the body of Jesus. Then he took it down, wrapped it in linen, and laid it in a tomb that was hewn out of the rock where no one had ever lain before. And Mary would have been there through that process of burial of her own son. She would have been mourning and grieving with the disciples. And her faith was being tested. You know, if anybody could have shaken their fist at God and said, this is not fair, it would have been Mary. Mary could have said, this is not right. He hasn't done anything wrong. All this world is full of people who sin. Let them pay for their sins. Not my baby. Not my son. He's mine. This isn't right. This isn't fair. But you know, Mary didn't do that. Instead, she reacted in faith. And after his death, she awaited the resurrection. And in Acts chapter 1, we find where Mary was at. Following the resurrection of Jesus, she maintained her faithfulness to God. She was there with the disciples as they continued with one accord in prayer and supplication with the women and Mary, the mother of Jesus, and with his brethren. Awaiting the mission that was going to be given to them as Jesus ascends to the Father. And what Mary knew is that she would see her son again. See, though Mary was watching her son die, Mary needed a Savior more than a son. And that's what God provided for her. You know, when Mary traveled down to see her cousin Elizabeth, who is expecting John the Baptist. They have this interaction. And imagine the joy that Mary had in her heart at hearing what happens with the baby in the womb of Elizabeth. Verse 43 of Luke chapter 1 says, But why is this granted to me, that the mother of my Lord should come to me? For indeed, as soon as the voice of your greeting sounded in my ears, the babe leaped in my womb for joy. Blessed is she who believed, for there will be a fulfillment of those things which were told her from the Lord. And Mary said, My soul magnifies the Lord, and my spirit has rejoiced in God my Savior. And guess who she was talking about? She was talking about the son that was within her womb. She rejoiced in God her Savior. And that baby that she delivered lived a perfect life. 
I want to ask you a question tonight. Are you perfect? Are you sinless? Now, we have some young people here, and I want to make this very clear. You young children and kids... Y'all are still learning what's right and wrong and the difference between sin and obedience to God. And, and God looks at you, I want to tell you, you're clean. There's no need for you to do anything than to continue to grow and develop. But there's going to come a point where you know what sin is. And that you understand that that sin separates you from God. And that for the only way for you to have a relationship with God is that you would do something to be obedient to the gospel of Jesus Christ. And that by doing that, you enter into a relationship with Him. But some of you young people, guess what? You are old enough to know that. You know you've sinned. You know the things you've said. You know the things you've done. You know the things you've allowed your mind to dwell and think on. The Son of God died so you could be forgiven. Other people experienced grief and pain unimaginable because it was the plan of God. And God loved you so much that even though you have sinned and fallen short of His glory, He has given you a way so that you can be forgiven and saved. Don't you think it would be foolish to ignore that? And tonight, as you consider your soul, I want you not to think about Mary, though she's a wonderful example of faith. And she suffered pain and agony that no one else on this earth will ever understand. Because her innocent child died. But that innocent child died for you. And tonight, if you would come and be obedient to Jesus, he will save you just like he saved his mother. But you have to take the step. God has already done what he needs to do. It's up to you now. Jesus says, He that believeth and is baptized shall be saved. Do you trust Jesus? Then why not do that? Why not be obedient in baptism? Have your sins washed away so that you can know that you're going to be in eternity with Jesus and all those who have been faithful to Him. Maybe you're here and you are a disciple of Jesus. You've been baptized. You know that you took those initial steps, but none of us are immune from sin coming back into our hearts and our lives, and we tend to slip and to fall back into old bad habits. The Bible says we have an advocate with the Father that through prayer we can be restored to the joy of our salvation in Christ. But either way... I want to tell you tonight, it would be foolish to leave here not knowing about your eternity. And if we can help you, if you have a care or a concern, or you're ready to start your walk with Jesus, tonight the invitation is not mine. The invitation is not the invitation of this congregation. The invitation is the invitation of Jesus Christ. And He says, Come. Come unto me, all you that labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn of me, for I am meek and lowly in heart, and you shall find rest unto your souls, for my yoke is easy and my burden is light. 
lay down the heavy burden of sin and come to Jesus tonight as we stand and sing. Come unto me, 